Thank you so much. More power to you guys. That was just a powerful, powerful worship and ministry. And I sense the Lord is in this place because he already told us in his word. He said, we are two or more are gathered together in his name. He is there. So we know if the Lord opens our eyes right now, we will see him sitting on one of these chairs. Not only is he in here, but there is angelic host here tonight. The angelic host, they are here tonight. So this place is teeming with heavenly bodies tonight. So expect something big. I don't know what's on your heart, what's on your mind. Maybe there are some issues from work. Maybe there are some issues at home. Cast your burdens upon the Lord. Okay? Whatever you are facing tonight, whatever storm you are facing, they are all after bow at the name of Jesus Christ. And the word says, nobody that puts their faith in him shall ever be ashamed. No matter what you're going through, God said, if you put your faith in him, you will not be ashamed. That is the word of the Lord. And that's the promise to someone here tonight. The Lord told prophet Isaiah, he said, Isaiah, go tell the righteous it is well with him. You are the righteous. The Lord says it is well with you. So you need to say that to yourself. It is well with me. Let's say that together. It is well with me. Let's say this together. Greater, Greater. is he who is in me than he who is in the world. presence in this place. Father, we welcome your presence. Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence. Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome your presence. Holy angels, we welcome your presence. Not only do we welcome your presence, we welcome your glory. Father, we are asking you to do something here tonight that has never been done before. Father, each person here tonight represents a family, represents a household, they represent a company, they represent a community. Father, I'm asking you to diffuse your fragrance of your presence into their lives right now. Let the anointing, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the young destroying, body removing anointing of God, begin to work on their behalf right now. Even as we are praying right now, Lord, let every yoke be destroyed in their lives. Whatever storm they are facing, we are saying, peace, be still, right now. We release the anointing upon our marriages, upon our family, upon our communities, upon our jobs and businesses, upon our relationships, upon our children, upon our, upon our parenting ability. Father, we release the anointing upon our lives, spirit, soul, and body. Thank you, Lord. And your anointing never fails. So, Father, we thank you tonight. We ask you to teach us by your Holy Spirit and to change us into who we ought to be in Christ. We ask in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And amen. And amen. So, brothers, we've been teaching from the book of James. And what I love about the book of James is that it's the practical book of the Bible. 
It's actually the whole Bible cliff note. That is what James is. It gives it to you in tactical, strategic interventions into your life, what you could deploy on a daily basis. And it is written so that even baby Christians could understand. And it is written by a very highly important person, which is the brother of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Someone that knew our Lord very closely, grew up with him in the same house, played with him, ate with him, dined with him, do everything with him. And he's been giving us some gauges, some metrics about what a Christian, a true Christian should look like. When you begin in James chapter 1, he told us in the first half of the book of James, he says, you're going to face persecution. He said, your faith is going to be tested. But he said, when the test comes, count it all joy. That is a strategy. Joy is a strategy. Don't go around moping and groping and saying, poor old me. I guess I can't do anything. I guess I'm just going to die. I guess the doctor said, this is what the doctor said. I guess I'm going to lose my job. I guess I'm going to lose my business. I guess I'm just going bankrupt. James gave us the first strategy is joy. He said, you should count it all joy. Knowing that the testing of your patience produces patience. But let patience have do its perfect work, that you may be complete and lacking nothing. So how do you show joy? You show joy in a smile. Not a frown. A smile. A smile is an evidence that you are putting your faith in God. And God is undertaking for you. A frown is comfort fear. Fear of the unknown. Fear that the enemy is going to have his way. And God is going to lose. That is what your frown means. Depression means you're saying, I'm done, this is just going to end up in a bad old way. But the smile says, says, I put my faith in God and all is going to be well. So joy is your strategy. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your patience produces, produces what? Perseverance. Then, he told us, in the second half of the first chapter, he told us that we should not forsake the fatherless and the widows and the orphans. He said we should visit them. So you can see again, it's practical. Practical. Things that we face every day. He said don't forget the widows, don't forget the orphans, don't forget those that are lost. Then it shifted into chapter 2, and the first half of chapter 2, it talked about judging our neighbors. It said, don't be partial based on external look. Someone might look disheveled, they might look not like you. Don't judge them. Don't make your decisions based on outward, external appearances. You see, it's giving us metric. The metric of what a true believer is. Then he shifted in the latter part of the book of chapter 2 of James. He shifted into your faith should be accompanied with corresponding actions. 
It's not just, oh Lord, bless you, love you, Lord, and then we live like a hooligan. There has to be corresponding action that matches your faith. So now, we are shifting into chapter 3, and James is about to share with us what God's definition of maturity is in Christianity. Just think about that. If someone asks you right now, what is a mature Christian? We all are going to have different definitions. But wouldn't you like to know what God's definition is of a mature believer? God is going to share it with us tonight. James shared it with us. So I'm going to read my introduction on that note. What is the mark of, again, for those that are very orderly, our, our title tonight is God's definition of maturity in Christianity. God's definition of maturity in Christianity. What is the mark of maturity in Christianity? Is it how long you've been born again? Or how long you've been attending your church? Is it your depth of biblical understanding? Or how much you have given over the years to your church? Or the number of ministries that you've served, that you have served or currently serve in? While all these may be secondary attributes of a mature believer, it is quite interesting and high-opening to find out what God's definition is according to the book of James. Starting in chapter 3, the Lord's brother begins to define to his congregation in Jerusalem and towards the readers of this epistle what God's definition of maturity is in a believer in Christ. So let's find out together. So James 3.1. James said, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. So when he said, my brethren, he's talking about Adelpho in Greek. And he's talking about the, the new race of believers. He's not only talking about the Jewish race that meets in the synagogue. Now there is a new breed. God is doing a new thing. There is a new breed of people and it comprises of Jewish that has abandoned the Jewish faith but they are now accepting Christ as their Savior and Lord and Gentiles that were living in Jerusalem at that time that may be worshiping pagan gods or never knew God but they have accepted Christ. So that's who he's referring to, his brethren. And by the way, they were the persecuted church. Because at that time, the Jews saw the new faith as a threat to the old faith. So these people were highly persecuted that James is preaching to. And he gives them a very severe warning. He said, let not many of you become teachers. In fact, when you break down that sentence construction, it is a sentence that is called a present imperative. A present imperative. And whenever you see a present imperative, it is a command. So what James is actually saying is, stop being teachers. He's telling congregation, stop being teachers. Why is that? Because the burning passion of many Jews was to teach the law of Moses. To the Gentile Christians. And many of them, they are just learning about the faith. 
It's no longer the law of Moses. It's a new faith that is based on love and grace and faith. They've only known how to obey the rules and the laws. But there is a new faith that is based on grace. And they were so eager. They saw these gentle Christians coming in. And they are so eager to teach them. But James is saying, not so fast. Not so fast. Because you yourself, you're still learning. And a lot of them have not really gotten rid of their prejudices and misunderstandings. For example, let me give you an example of what some of these Jewish people were teaching at the time. That caused James to say, stop being teachers. Let's look at the scripture you were given today. We're going to look in Acts 15. And you're going to see what some of these people, Jewish or Pharisaical believers, were teaching. So let's read. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach. See that? They were becoming teachers. They began to teach the believers. And look at what they are teaching. What are they teaching? Unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now let me ask you that. Is that a true statement? It's a lie. And James was saying this going on. And James is saying, stop being teachers. You yourself don't even understand what you're talking about yet. And look at the next statement. Paul and Barnabas just happened to be there. And Paul, Paul was really ticked off. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Finally, the church decided, you could see, this caused a big ruckus. Now they're going to send a, a committee to Jerusalem. They decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. The question of what's the requirement for salvation. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. They reported everything God had done through them, but then, but then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of Pharisees, look at it, they stood up and insisted that the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. You see, they were dug in. They were like, we're not going to we don't believe that someone died for us, this Jesus Christ died for us, and we just have to believe, and then we are saved. They are insisting, pushing back on Paul and Barnabas and the whole apostles and the whole new faith. They are insisting that they must be circumcised and required to follow the law, the law of Moses as a prerequisite to accepting Christ. Is that true? No, it's false. So when they are finished, look who stood up. Brother James. That's our brother James that we are reading from this epistle. Brother James stood up. Because brother James was one of the first pastors of the churches in Jerusalem. He has had enough. And he said, brothers, listen to me. And we pick it up in verse 19. So this is James speaking. And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles. Because, again, the Jewish religion, with all their over 600 laws and rituals, 
they were making it difficult for the new convert. So James is warning them, don't make it difficult for these Gentiles who are turning to God. He said, we're going to keep this very concise. Instead, we should write, tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming food, consuming blood. So James was setting them straight in terms of this new faith called Christianity. Again, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers. Who is a teacher? Teacher in Greek is didaskalos. And it means a teacher or a rabbi, a revelator. One who receives revelation from God. And one who officially teaches the word of God. At the time, Jerusalem was the center of Christianity. And there are very many noble ministers that are coming and going throughout every season of the year. And the teachers were heroes of the congregation. And many in the congregation desired to be like this, to be like the teachers. Teachers was a highly revered and highly honorable position. And everybody wants to be a teacher. However, the office of a teacher carries a great privilege, but also accompanied with great responsibilities. And when you look at that word, many, 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 many of you become, let not many of you become teachers. Many were desiring to be teachers, but many were not qualified to teach the word of God. And I see that going on tonight, today. Right now as we speak, if you go on social media, everybody has got one of this. And every, anybody, they are becoming an expert. People turn it on and they start preaching and teaching. And a lot of it is man-made opinions. You go on Instagram, you go on Facebook, people are attempting to teach the gospel. And most of it it's not sound gospel. That's why you got to be very careful what you are eating and digesting. I'm talking about spiritually. Not every person that wears a suit, three-piece suit, and carries a briefcase knows the word of God. Okay? It doesn't take a whole lot of poison to kill you. And many have been poisoned spiritually by hearing a false gospel. So you have to be very careful. Because to be a teacher, there are certain, certain criteria that needs to be met. Number one, the teacher should be a gifted teacher. Even if he is a teacher in the, in the world, does not mean they are qualified to teach the word of God. I mean, people have the notion, you know what, anyone could pick up the Bible and just read it and give us some opinions and give an outline and a couple of points and call it a sermon. But no, James is countering that. A teacher has to be gifted. It deserves and it demands a level of discipline in doing it. There are skills to properly understand God's word. There must be a willingness to teach the truth and not human opinions. And then on top of it, the one preaching or teaching must not contradict his teaching with his lifestyle. 
So James is saying, for this reason, do not become a teacher. Look at what 1 Timothy 1.7 says. 1 Timothy, this is Paul's admonition to Timothy. He said, desiring to be teachers of the law, and he's talking about people in Timothy's church, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say, nor the things which they affirm. You see, they are trying to be teachers, but they do not understand what they are saying or what they are affirming. They are ignorant. Look at 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to win God's approval as a worker. Look at that. Work. It is work to teach. I'm sure Brother Kishore could testify. 45 minutes of notes. If I were to ask you, how long does it, do you think it takes for preparation? Minimum is 20 to 30 hours. Minimum. 20 to 30 hours to just prepare what we're talking about tonight. Because I have to read what's in that word. I have to meditate on it. I have to consult with authors that I know that are reliable. And I have to extract what I think is feeding. It takes some takes a lot of prayer, meditation. Because you're dealing with the eternity of someone's life. Am I right, Brother Kishore? Brother Kishore is a teacher as well. Do you agree with what I'm saying? I'm sure he puts the same level of energy and effort. So it's not just coming up here and winging it and saying, let me just give my opinion. It takes study. It takes work. So Paul was telling Timothy, do your best to win God's approval as a worker. It is work. W-O-R-K. Who doesn't need to be ashamed and who teaches only the true message? Then look at Romans 12, 6-7. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things. Certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak up with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. You see, we all have a gift. Align your work with your gift. Okay? If the Lord calls you to serve, serve. If the Lord calls you to be a teacher, by all means, please teach. I'm not trying to discourage anyone from teaching. So why should we not become teachers? It tells us in the second statement, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. And that's why I'm saying this is a very severe warning. Knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Who's, who is the we? The teachers are going to receive a stricter judgment. You see, I'm not saying teachers are perfect and they do not sin as other men do. They are fallible as other men do. But teachers of the world faces greater scrutiny and a heavier judgment than others because of what? Because of their visibility before the world. You see, they are seen in the pulpit as advocating a life of righteousness and they are expected to live by it. I remember a teacher that if I mention his name, you all will know him back in the 80s. You all know Jimmy Swaggart. 
That man fell into some sin, and the whole, he has the largest ministry in the world at the time. His annual income was over 100 million back in the 80s, $8 million a month. He was influencing people all across the globe. Jimmy Swagger, he was a powerful evangelist. People from Africa, from Asia, everybody. Jimmy Swagger was the man back then. But he was stripped up by the enemy. And the rest was history. But how many people do we know that their work with the Lord tanked just because of that man? How many people went to hell because of that fall? How many people renounced the faith? I said, if Jimmy Swagger could not live up to that, I don't know if I could. I'm not going to go to church anymore. How many people are in hell today just because of that one man? Problem? And what happened to me? And that is why teachers are held to a greater scrutiny. please by all means be a teacher I don't want to scare anybody off okay if that's the call on your life by all means do it I remember when brother Jay approached me years ago when the pop started and I like his he was very transparent he called me and said Aji I am an organizer he said, I am organizing, organization is my gift. He said, but I know I'm not called to be a teacher. He said, God has laid something on my heart for immense ministry. I have heard you speak at the Big C a few times. And I'd like you to consider partnering with me in this endeavor and being a teacher. You see, because he saw that I have a teaching gift, and he said, I have an organization gift. He said, let's partner together and create a ministry. And that is how Pop started. With about 12 men back in the 2015. And that is what we have to do. You have a particular gift. I'm going to respect that gift. Someone else has another gift. Respect that gift. And we are all flowing together for the kingdom of God. <coughs> So James said, James 3, 2, For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect, mature man. Now he's really digging deep now. Able also to bridle, control the whole body. Look at what CEV translation said of James 3, 2. The CEV translation said, All of us do many wrong things, but if, if you can control your tongue, you are mature. So what is maturity in Christianity? The ability to control your tongue. Think about that. God's definition of maturity, brothers, in Christianity is control your tongue. Don't let your emotion drive you. Control your emotions, control your tongue. That is maturity. 
That is why when I go anywhere, watch the people that are doing the most talking. Those are the babies. You do go to go to any church. It's like a machine gun. Baby. It's a baby. If you could see them spiritual realm, they have diapers on. And this could be someone that has been in the church for 50 years or 60 years. It could be, it could be an older person. Someone that is so free, they will tell you, do you know what happened? I'm a soldier. You see what happens to him? Oh my God, his wife is going to leave him. Hey, gossip, gossip, gossip. Then they go to the brother Jason here and tell him about someone else in the church. Then they go to brother Kishore and tell him about the pastor. I just don't know if I'm going to like this pastor. He saw me in the hallway yesterday. He didn't say good morning. They will just chatter, 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 chatter. Chatter, 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 chatter. Baby, baby. Baby. So James is saying, we all stumble in many things. You see, he's including himself. I'm not saying a teacher is someone we should bow to and worship and respect. He said we all stumble, and that word stumble means we all offend. It means to offend, to trip, to fail or fall. We all sin, including the teacher. However, the teacher is a public speaker, a leader who is more susceptible to the misuse of words, which may impact or injure many. That is why this teacher is going to be held to a higher judgment. Because he deals in the business of words. You see, whenever you speak a lot, sin is not wanting, and you increase your footprint of error. The more words, because you're going to be accountable for those words one day. The more words you speak, potential for judgment. Because your words are powerful. And I hope, I hope we have time tonight. There are some powerful things I want to teach about speaking I have it in my notes. I don't know if we're going to get to it tonight, but I want you to know why words are so important. Your words, particularly I consider everybody in this place a leader. So James is issuing a caution to his church. He's saying, be aware of the significant liability and the stricter judgment connected to the teaching responsibility. And then I want you to look at what he says next. He said, if anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect, mature man, able also to bridle or control his body. Look at how Amplified puts it. Amplified, James 3, 2, should be in your notes. For we all stumble and sin in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, never saying the wrong thing, is a perfect man, fully developed in character, without serious flaws, able to bridle it, his own body, and reign his entire nature, taming his human faults and weaknesses. And what I want you to notice in this scripture is that there is a connection between how you use your tongues, the word you are speaking, and the quality of your health and life. Then the quantity of your days on earth. Then the direction of your life. 
Your words and being able to control your tongue has a direct impact on your health and your life, the quality of your health and life, and the quantity of your days upon this earth, and the direction of your life. Let's look at Psalm 34, 12 to 13. Psalm 34, 12 to 13. Who is the man who desires life? He's talking about quality of life. And loves many days. He's talking about age, the longevity of your time on this earth. He said, who desires life? Who desires a great quality of life? And who desires to live long and healthy? You will expect him to say, well, go to the gym four times a week. Eat your vegetables. Eat a balanced diet. Make sure you exercise and run three or four times a day. Did he say that? Look at what he says. That he may see good. He said, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. He said, if you keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from speaking deceit, he said, the quality of your life, the direction of your life, and the length of your days are going to be better. Can you imagine? That means, let's switch it. If you do not control your tongue, you could attract sickness. You could attract various things to yourself. You could give access to the enemy. Look at how CEV says this. CEV, Psalm 34, 12 to 13. CEV says, do you want to live and enjoy a long life? Then don't say cruel things. And don't tell lies. Don't say cruel things and don't tell lies. That means for every lie you speak, it's counting against you, it's counting against your quality of life and your length of your days and the direction of your life. So you can see here why James is building his argument why not everyone should be a teacher. Because the word you speak has consequence. Not just consequence to many that are listening and hearing you, but consequence to self. And I'm not trying to cause anyone to be down or downcasted here tonight, because people are looking at me and saying, oh my God, if I can't talk, I might as well just go to bed. What am I going to do? I love talking. <laughs> I'm not saying don't talk, please. I'm not the bearer of a bad news tonight. I'm just reading Bible to you. And I hope you will go home and study it yourself. Because I'm not, this is not Ajibola's gospel. If it's my, I love to talk myself. And I, believe me, I've gotten myself in my, in my own share of troubles. Because I've said some things that were not so nice. That didn't get me some brownie points at all. Got me time in the, you know, time in the basement, or time in the dog pound, whatever you call it. On the sofa. On the sofa. <laughs> Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. I know the sofa well. You know the... <laughs> you see, I'm glad brother Kishore, he's a teacher as well, so he knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> Look at our TPT. TPT translation talks about Psalm 34, 12, 13. He said, do you want to live a long, good life, enjoying the beauty that fills each day? Who wants to do that? Okay, we all do, so we're on the same page. Then he's going to give us how to achieve that. Then never speak a lie or allow wicked words to come from your mouth. Brother, 
You don't have to go see a doctor again if you follow this. Your life will change for the better. If you just write this on a big white piece of paper, put it in the bathroom, put it on the fridge in the kitchen, and see this every day. I will never speak a lie again, and I will not let wicked words come from my mouth. And this is God speaking. He made us. He knows something about words that we might not know. You know, it's so interesting. When you do a research of the impact of words and different tongues in the Bible, do you know there are over 40 ways you could use your tongue negatively that are documented with Scripture? Let me just read some of them to you. In the Bible, and I'm not going to provide you scriptures tonight, in the Bible, there is the lying tongue, the flattering tongue, the manipulating tongue, the hasty tongue, the divisive tongue, the argumentative tongue, the boasting tongue, the self-depreciating tongue, the slandering tongue, the gossiping tongue, the meddling tongue, the betraying tongue, the belittling tongue, the cynical tongue, the knowing all tongue, the harsh tongue, the tactless tongue, the intimidating tongue, the rude tongue, the judgmental tongue, the self-absorbed tongue, the cursing tongue, the complaining tongue, the retaliating tongue, the accusing tongue, the discouraging tongue, the doubting tongue, the loquacious tongue, the indiscreet tongue, the silent tongue. All in the Bible. So you could see how you could use your tongue to hurt yourself, and most people are not aware of this. And they are causing serious damage to their community, to their spouse, to their children. How many divorces have happened because of words? How many? How many children have said, I'm not going to serve the Lord because of what daddy or mommy said? How many people are going to say, I'm never going to be a Christian if any one of them talks like that man or talk like that woman, I'm not going to go to church again. Did you see what he just told me? How many teachers have ruined kids because they said something nasty to them like, you're just a mistake. You're never going to be anybody. You're not going to amount to much because you didn't get an A on a stinking test. You're just stupid and dumb and dumb. And the kid just plummeted and crashed. So we have to be very careful, very careful about how we use our tongues. Another reason why we have to be careful is this. Our tongue reveals our character. Our tongue reveals our character. You see, as a medical doctor looks at your tongue to determine the condition of your health, your physical health, God looks looks at your tongue to determine the condition of your spiritual health. You go to the doctor, what did he tell you? Ah, Dr. Kishore is here. He knows all about it. He could tell us. Am I right? The physical stature of a person, the doctor will say, let me see your tongue. And he goes like this. Ah, and he looks at that tongue. And he knows what he's looking for. Tell him about your physical condition. You know what God does? God does the same thing. How is he speaking to his wife? How does he talk to his children? When someone says something to him, does he threaten them and just 
If someone crosses him on the highway, does he give them a finger and just choose them off with some NF? God is looking at your tongue and is determining your maturity by your tongue. Let's look at our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2, 21 to 23. 1 Peter 2, 21 to 23. After all, God chose you to suffer as you follow in the footsteps of Christ. You see, there is going to be some suffering because we are following Christ. Who set an example by suffering for you? Christ did not sin or ever tell a lie. See that? Christ did not sin or ever tell a lie. Although he was abused, and think about it, he was the perfect, sinless Lamb of God. 24-7, he was walking in love. But he was abused, but he never tried to get evil. And when he suffered, he made no threats. He didn't say, you did this to me, you watch. You watch what I'm going to do to you. He never made threats. Instead, he had faith in God who judges fairly. So the enemy is going to test you and he's going to push your body. Because why? He wants you to say some words. Because whatever words you do, you either release God or you release Satan. Your word releases faith or releases fear. Your word releases light or releases darkness. Your word releases peace or it releases storm. So James continues in James 3.3. 3. Instead, indeed, we put beads in horses' mouths that they may obey us and we turn their whole body. When he say we turn their whole body, it's one word in Greek. It's metagomen. Metagomen. It means to change the direction. So the purpose of the beat in the mouth of the horse is to turn the whole body of the horse. The horse might be going West, you could turn it to east. It could be going north, you could turn it to south. Just by the beat in the mouth of the horse. Our tongue can control our whole body and the course of our lives. Just like the beat can control the horse's whole body and its direction. You want to change direction in life? Start speaking the word. Concerning that area of your life. Start saying what God says about that area of your life. If you are someone that is given to anger, find some scriptures that talks about walking in peace and love. And start changing direction. Look at John 15, 7. Jesus said, if you live in me, and we're looking at Amplified Classic, if you live in me, abide vitally united to me, and my words remain in you, and continue to live in your hearts, ask whatever you will, and it shall be done for you. See, there's a benefit. Jesus said, if you meditate on my word, 
and you let your mind and your tongue only speak my words. He said, you ask me whatever you want and I'll do it for you. No limit. You know why? Because he knows when your mind and your heart is filled with his word, he knows your desires are going to be in line with his word. That is why change begins with acknowledging where you are and taking a self, doing a self-inventory and saying, you know what, I'm missing it in this area and I need to really alter and change direction. And then begin to meditate on who you like to be based on the word of God. Look at what Matthew 12, 34 says. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? It cannot happen. Whatever you fill your heart with is what's going to come out. If you come through the Wall Street Journal every day, and after you're done with Wall Street Journal, you pick up Pittsburgh Post Gazette, and you read it every day, then you pick up the Tribune, and you read it every day, then on that you go online, and you read the news, guess what? That is what you're going to speak. You're going to recite statistics from the news. You're going to see what's going on in the world. If you read the word, you meditate on it, you put your mind to it, guess what's going to come out? The word. You see, you are, you see, your mouth flows from the abundance of your heart, the overflow of your heart. That's how you're going to respond. You will never respond any other way than what you're putting in. So what do I mean? Garbage in, garbage out. Good things in, good things out. So you have to think, what am I consuming spiritually? Because that is determining the course of your life and is determining the quality and longevity of your days. How many people here will never like to have a doctor tell you something is wrong with your body or tell you you're sick or anything? Change your words. Your health changes. Immediately you change your words. Start speaking the word. Everything changes. How many people here would like to know how powerful your tongue is? How many people? Are you really If you're truly serious, are you, do you want to know how powerful your tongue is? Do you want to know the capacity and the scope of the power in your tongue? How many people are interested in that? Do you have 10 to 15 more minutes if I share it with you? Is everyone good? Because I'm ready to go. I'm shifting track now. I'm taking you in another direction. I've told you how not to use your tongue. Now I'm going to tell you some powerful capability that is... See, let me tell you something, something, brother. That's the most powerful thing in your body. Right there. See that little pink thing? It's the most powerful weapon you got. It's an advanced weaponry. Science cannot duplicate it. When you know the power that is in that little pink thing right there, your life will change. And I'm going to tell you, according to God's word, the capacity, the capability, and the power in your tongue. And you're going to become Superman tonight. Because I'm going to give you some secrets tonight that if you remember them, you will alter the course of your life. Number one, I'm going to give you the first secret. God made your tongue mainly to create. Brothers, never forget that. Your tongue was not giving you to communicate. Communication was secondary. Your tongue 
was giving you to create. Never forget that. The moment you begin to speak, you are creating. Call it. How are you going to call it? The darkness is there. The Holy Spirit is waiting. 
is waiting for your command. The moment you speak, the Holy Spirit goes to work and changes things. And when you read the first chapter of the book of Genesis, God said ten times. He said it. Look at verse 3, God said. Verse 6, God said. Verse 9, God said. Verse 11, God said. Verse 14, God said. And every time he was saying, he was creating. So there is one defining factor, one defining characteristic of God. When he wants to create, he speaks. And look at verse 26. Let's look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. He said, let us make brother Daryl in our image. Let us make brother Isaac in our image. Let us make brother Jason in our image. In our image and according to our likeness. You are made in God's image and God's likeness. So what is it? What is it inferring? He's saying, so, if you want to create, since you are made in the image of God, you have to create like I create with your words. That's what he's telling you. You're not going to do it any other way. Number two, so you never forget your tongue was created for creation. Your tongue is made for creation. And think about it. Don't just go hurry and start creating things. What do you want to create in your life? Take an inventory. What do you want to create? Write it down. You see, God knew you wanted light. He saw the light in his mind. But by faith, he spoke. And you're going to speak by faith. Things are not going to look like you want it to be when you speak. But the moment you speak, the Holy Spirit takes your word and creation begins. Number two, your tongue has the power of life and death. Never forget that. Look at Proverbs 18.21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love their tongue will eat its fruit or its benefits. You see, Jesus said in John 11, 43 to 44, when he, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, and his hand and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Over 90% of Jesus' healing and miracles were done with spoken words. Your tongue has the power of life and death. So just think, every time you speak, you're either speaking, and think about this, am I speaking life? When I speak to little Joe or little Bob, when I speak to your employees or your co-workers, are you speaking life or are you speaking death? So the first thing, you have the power of creation in your tongue. Number two, you have the power of life and death in your tongue. Number three, write this down, you have the power to decree. These are things, capability God has built into you. You have the power to decree. And what does it mean? What does decree mean? An official order issued by legal authority. An official order issued by legal authority. 
Let's look at Romans 5.17 real quick. Romans 5.17 says, For if because of one man's trespass, laughed offense, death reigned through that one, much more surely will those who receive God's overflowing grace and merited favor and free gift of righteousness, putting themselves into right standing with himself, reign as kings in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. God said he wants you to reign as kings in life. Now, let me ask you a question. How does a king rule? How does a king rule? Decree. You see, God, the Holy Spirit was not confused when he used that term. He said, those that have received the free gift of righteousness. How many people here has received the free gift of righteousness? If you have received the free okay, raise your hand. He said he wants you to reign as kings in life. Why did he use that metaphor or simile, kings? Because kings rule and reign by decrees. So you decide, how do you want your life to go? How do you, what do you want to decree? In every, conflict, in every conflict, put your mouth to work. Speak the desired results. Speak only the word of God. Never run towards your enemy with your mouth shut. You want to destroy a sickness? Speak to that sickness. Say cancer in the name of Jesus Christ, I curse you. You do not belong on my body. Jesus Christ paid for this cancer. Cancer in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to begin to shrivel from the root right now and to die. You know if you do that? You know that cancer will obey you? Do you know you could say something like, angels of God, I want you to go out and look for a job. Bring the right person I need to meet to find my next job. They are angels. They are waiting for your command. Father, today I pray everything will work together for my good. Do you know you have the power to decree the life of your children? Lay your hands on them. Just say, son, you will serve the Lord. I'm not moved by what you're doing right now. I'm not moved by what I see or what I think or how I feel or how you're behaving. But in the name of Jesus Christ, I decree that you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You have the power to decree. And that is why you decree a pops. Because we want to enact a change immediately in your life. Then number four. So we have the power to create. What's number two? Life and death, number three, decree. Number four, you have the power to cure diseases and heal the sick. And I'm going to give you a scripture for that. Luke 9, 1 to 2. Then Jesus Christ called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. You have the power to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So when someone comes to you and they are sick, just read them Luke 9, 1, 2. Lord Jesus Christ, you give me the power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. I lay my hand on this person and I command the sickness to live right now in Jesus' name and I command the love of God to begin to flow in their body. I cause the sickness. I cause the disease. I cause this whatever is happening in their body. I command it to die in Jesus' name. I decree that over them. You see, let me tell you something, brothers. You are Christ on this planet. Jesus Christ is seated in heaven. You are his body. He is the head. If you don't do it, anybody will do it. 
The devil will just have a heyday, killing people, destroying. We are his voice. We are his hands. We have to know the power and capability we have, and we, be, we need to begin to speak to things publicly, publicly. Because if you don't do it, and you are politically correct, uh, I just don't want to offend anybody uh, because there were Muslims there and there were Buddhists there, and I just kind of feel like it would be awkward for me to pray or to lay my hands and see what I feel. If you do that, the enemy will have a heyday because nobody checks him. That is why it brings political correctness to suffer Christian. Ah, I don't want to offend them. Offend them. Offend them. Because you offend them, you offend the devil. And that's the right person to offend. So number five. You have the power to cast out demons. Never forget that. Look at Mark 16, 17. And these signs shall follow them that believe. How many people believe in here? If you believe, please raise your hands. Then you have the power. Jesus said, in my name shall they cast out demons. Let me tell you something, brothers. There are many problems that they are demonic in nature. And the thing about demonic problem is this. You cannot solve it with tablet. You cannot solve it with a pill. You can't solve it any other way than to someone recognize a demonic problem and speak. Those demons will not yield to anything but someone that comes in the name of Jesus Christ and that knows their power and authority in Jesus Christ. And you say, Mr. Devil, your day of tormenting my brother is over. I cut off your access to them with the blood of Jesus and the name of Jesus Christ. You have no power over my brother. He is a child of God. He has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ purchased his redemption. And right now, I cast you out upon the authority of the word of God and you must go. You have the power. Right there. there. Go ahead. Go ahead. Right there. You see it every day, every morning. The most powerful weapon is not your muscle. It's not your brain. Your tongue is the most powerful because it could change things. Not only for you, but for many people. Number six. You have the power to stop it's tongue. Do you know that? <laughs> I know some people are looking at me and say this guy is very, very extreme. Let me read you a scripture. Luke 8, 24 to 25. Jesus said, the same work I do shall you do, and greater work than this shall you do. So let me tell you something. Anything Jesus did, Jesus is expecting you to do. He's expecting you to do it as his follower. If he did it, he's saying you have the power to do it. Stop looking at yourself as a victim. You are the victor. You are the ambassador representing God. The closest person some people are going to see that looks like Jesus is you. And that's why you got to exercise your authority. Exercise your power. Be who you ought to be in Christ. Don't back down to the devil. The devil is a liar. Look at what Jesus said. Luke 8, 24 to 25. And they came to him and awake him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. But he said to them, Where is your faith? Why did Jesus say, Where is your faith? Jesus was expecting, was disappointed that his disciples did not take authority over that storm. He was sleeping. He was fast asleep. He's saying, Boys, I'm disappointed. How long have you been hanging with me? You want to know by now you have authority over that storm? 
So when you see a storm coming towards your house, you go outside and you say, Storm, you will not come in this community. And you read that scripture, I rebuke you right now, and I tell you to go back to where you came from. You will not touch my house. You will not touch my children. If your children are traveling or something, rebuke it. Hurricane, whatever name they call it now. You have that authority. And you might be looking at me and just saying, ah, it's a bunch, bunch of bull. Well, if it's a bunch of bull, then you will not, that, it won't work for you. If you believe it, it will work for you. Number seven, you have the power to impart peace to your home or a situation. You have the power to impart peace to your home or a situation. When you get home, you say shalom to this house. And what does shalom mean? Peace. Shalom is peace in Hebrew and Irene is peace in Greek. Whichever one you want to say. Say shalom. And let me tell you, the Jews do still do that in Israel. If you go to any, you find a Jew, it's going to greet you shalom. Look at what Jesus said about that in Luke 10, 5 to 6. Amplified classic. Whatever house, look at this, this is the head of the church. He's speaking to believers. He said, whatever house you enter, you first say, peace be to this household. What does that mean? Freedom from all the distresses that result from sin be with this family. When you drive to your house or your compound, say shalom, peace to this house. Peace. You are the head of that household. Peace. Look at what Jesus said. And if anyone worthy of peace and blessedness is in that house, the peace and blessedness you wish shall come upon him. You live in that house, so there's a son of righteousness in that house. That peace will settle upon everyone in that house. When you enter your community, say peace. When you enter Pittsburgh, peace. When you enter Beaver County, peace. Or whatever county or place you live, when you get to your place of employment, say shalom. Irene. Jesus said if you say that by faith, that peace will remain upon that place, upon that area. Number eight. You have mountain-moving power. Mountain-moving power. What do I mean by mountain? Problem, circumstances, sickness. Look at what Jesus said. Mark eleven twenty-three. 23. He said, if you have faith in God and do not doubt, you can tell this mountain. What is a mountain? Problem, circumstances, sickness, difficulty, whatever it is that you are facing. He said, you have the power to tell it to get up and jump into the sea. And it will. How many here are believers in Christ? If you are believers in Christ, then you have to believe his word. I'm not reading my opinion to you. I'm reading what the head of the church said. The one who died for you. The one who shed his blood on Calvary. The one who went to hell and took on Satan and his demon and defeated them. The one who has a plan for your life. The one who has an eternal, eternal home for you in heaven. Whatever he says, believe it and you do it. Number nine, you have the power to bind and to lose. What does that mean? Let's look at Matthew 6, 16, 19. And I'm going to read you a blended translation. Matthew 16, 19. And I will give unto thee the kiss the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind. What does that mean? 
Whatsoever you disallow, forbid, declare to be improper on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you lose, allow, permit, declare to be proper on the earth shall be loosed in heaven. God is saying, I'll back you. If you speak it by faith, I'll back you. That's what God is saying. If he's aligned with my will, I'll back you. You have the power to bind and to lose. Use it. Then number 10. Number 10. You have the power to bless or to curse. You have the power to bless or to curse. Look at James 3.10. And we're going to get there as we go through James 3. Out of the same mouth, proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Don't curse your children. Don't curse your wife. See, the enemy will try to get you agitated and get you worked up and let you issue a curse unintentionally. And curse abiding, when you speak and you are like so fired up and you say, you know, well, you are just stupid. You can't get anything right. And you just don't seem to understand me. I don't even know you don't have a stupid future or whatever. And you, you unleash that upon your children and upon your house. It's dangerous. Very highly dangerous. You might as well tell that child to stick his mouth, stick his head up, open his mouth, and you put poison in his mouth. You're killing that child. Don't curse. Bless. You have the power to bless. Bless your children. Say, son, come here. I love you. I bless you. I bless you with everything that Jesus Christ purchased for you in his blood. You are blessed coming in, you are blessed going out. Your blessing is here, your blessing is here. You will always be the head of your class. You have the mind of Christ, son. So you will understand math. Math will no longer be a problem for you because you have the mind of Christ. Son, I speak the favor of God upon you. Today, as you go to school, you have favor with your teachers. Today, as you go to work, son, this is your first job. I speak favor upon you. You have favor with your boss. Favor with your boss's boss. Favor all the way to the executive offices. You will be promoted. You will receive promotion. You have power, merit, and increases. You could bless. 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 You have that power. And there's no limits to your blessing. Bless. 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 Don't cause. You know why you should cause? Cause the sickness. Cause the things that the enemy is bringing upon you. I cause this attack against this house. I cause this sickness. I cause this storm. Cause these things of the devil, but the things that are precious and dear to you, bless it. Bless your wallet. Pull out your wallet and say, I bless my wallet. Wallet, you never lack for money. Pull out your bank account and say, bank account, you never lack. Money shall come from the south, from the west, from the east, and the north into this account. I will never have to talk. I will never have a hard, hard time making money. Money and ideas are attracted to me. I'll never be broke all the days of my life. I'll love more than enough. Plenty. You see, you bless yourself. You curse poverty. Poverty, I curse you. You will not come upon me or my children. Sickness, I curse you. You see, that is how you do it. Brothers, did this help someone tonight? Praise the Lord. So we're going to close. But before I close, I'm going to read you 
one scripture. Matthew 12, 36 to 37. Jesus said, I promise you that on the day of judgment, everyone will have to account for every careless word they have spoken. On that day, they will be told that they are either innocent or guilty because of the things they have said. You see, because of all this power, because of this greater capability, the greater ability, the greater the power to create, to decree, Jesus is saying, because I've given you that power, you'll be held accountable. Because to whom much is given, much is required. So God is saying, because you came across a situation and you have the power to change it with your word, but you did not, instead you joined the crowd and you started saying, oh, how bad the flu season is, how everybody is going to be sick, and we are all going to die. Instead of saying, flu and sickness, I bind you and you get away from this office. You no longer rape havoc in our office. Jesus is saying, because you didn't use your power when you're supposed to use it, you will be held accountable for the wrong things you say. Because you have the power to bless your children, but instead you curse them, you will be held accountable for that. Because you can speak to the problems in the community and bless the community and your city, but instead you join in with the world and you spoke the wrong things, you will be held accountable for that. Because to whom much is given, much is required. So measure the gravity of your words. Some things does not need a response. If you are hungry, don't speak. If someone wants you to be angry, just say, you know what? I heard what you said. I'll give you a response. Maybe in 24 hours. Be cool, come and collect and be measured because you're creating the moment you open your mouth. Amen, brothers? Amen. Amen. So we're going to make our decree. Like I said, it's an example of what we talked about. You have the power to decree, and we decree. If you come to pop, we make a decree. Because we know the decree of a king oh, is always carried out. So let's say this. I declare by faith today, I faith today that I am a mature believer. I, I edit myself when I speak. And I do not let my emotions control me. I am led by the Holy Spirit. I do what of God in what I say. And now I say it. God is love. He is my heavenly father. And I am his son. Therefore, I am love. Therefore, I let love dominate my emotions, my attitudes, and my words. I follow in the footsteps of Christ. I do not sing. Or tell a lie. When I'm insulted, I do not try to get evil. Or seek revenge with my words. Nor do I make threats. I bless those who curse me. I forgive those who slander or hurt me. I pray for those who use or hate me. And I decree this. I decree this. By faith. By faith. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.